Best of Times live from 710 Keel Studios in Shreveport, Louisiana, celebrating age and maturity, helping you make the best years of your life the best they can be. The Best of Times, your host, Gary Kaligas. Good morning, radio listeners. I'm Gary Kaligas, the publisher of The Best of Times, the only magazine and radio show for mature adults in northwest Louisiana. Thank you for tuning into our show today and also thanking those who might be listening via the Internet at www.710keel.com. Also thanking those who might be listening via the Keel application on their Apple and Android devices. We do thank AARP Louisiana Neighbors, Tenant Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer, for being the exclusive sponsors of this radio show to provide you with beneficial information each and every Saturday morning. In just a few minutes, we're going to learn about life's third age. So stay to the show for some very interesting information from internationally known psychologists, gerontologists, visionary thinker of aging and longevity. It is Saturday, December the 11th, and we are broadcasting our show from the studios of News Radio 710 Keel, a town square media station here in Shreveport, Louisiana. However, today's show has been pre-recorded, so we will be unable to accept calling questions and comments from our loyal radio listeners. Be sure to pick up the December issue of the Best of Times at one of our 270 distribution locations. Thank you for the many compliments about our magazine. We do appreciate hearing from you. Remember, if you're unable to find a copy, printed copy at one of our 270 distribution locations you could always visit our popular website at www.thebestoftimesnews.com to view both current and past issues of our magazine in addition you can listen to previously broadcast radio shows here on the best of times radio hour in in addition uh you can also view the 2021 silver pages senior resource directory Speaking of Silver Pages, we are working on the 20th edition of our Senior Resource Directory. It's our most popular publication and resource guide for boomers and seniors, as well as their family members in northwest Louisiana. It will contain over 4,000 listings of names, contact numbers, websites of businesses, organizations, and agencies who are able to provide products, services, and valuable information to seniors and boomers in our area. This resource directory will be released on March. March the 1st, 2021. Of course, you can view the current edition on our website. We'll be right back with more information, but now we're from our sponsors and advertisers who do make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, probably presented by AARP Louisiana Neighbors, in the country at Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Gary Kaligas will be right back with more Best of Times Radio Hour after this on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Gary's back with more Best of Times Radio Hour on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and a bear standing country ish report, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Kaligas. I do thank you for taking time to listen to our radio show today. Joining me on my show is a very, very special guest. It's Mr. Ken Dykewall, who is, has a lot of credentials. He's a psychologist, gerontologist, visionary thinker of aging and longevity. He's an author of 18 books 
and um, he's going to be sharing his thoughts about some of the aspects in his books, and especially about life's third age. So thank you, Ken, for joining us today here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. Hey, it's so great to be with you, Gary, and hi to all your listeners. And we're glad to have you. I do want to tell our listeners out there, I had the pleasure of actually hearing Ken speak at an international conference in San Diego in September. And wow, his two-hour presentation was one of the most remarkable presentation that I have I have uh, listened to his visuals his videos his interaction and his question and answer period was just but really remarkable and it, it talked about aging and, and and longevity and what's going to be happening in the future and it was pretty remarkable Ken thank you so much I totally enjoyed being with you and that whole gang Yes. You know, being publishers of publications, and you've been there, done that. You know, you told us that. You've been there, done that. And uh, I mean, sometimes us publishers have a difficult time, though our marketplace and our, our demographic is seniors and boomers. Sometimes we have a difficult time in telling our the businesses we represent or we try to advertise that, you know, they need to focus their ads, focus their promotion on those those particular demographics who do have the money to purchase and uh, those particular products and services, right? Without any question. And so let's jump in and uh, have some fun knocking this stuff about. Okay. First of all, I want you to, um, to, I'm going to give you a little plug about Radical Curiosity. It's his recent book. Uh, it's a remarkable book that I highly recommend everyone get it. It's available on Amazon. It's available on our website. You can download it uh, indirectly. And um, what do you hope readers take away from this book? Well, first, let me tell you the idea of the book, which I think is one of the things that I hope folks contemplate, which is that I, in my work as a gerontologist and a research scientist, I became captivated about seven or eight years ago with inheritance. And what we found in focus groups was that people didn't like the word, and they <laughs> felt it was, it was kind of grisly about who's going to get what. Right. So I whispered into the focus group moderator, hey, ask people how they feel about giving or leaving a legacy. True. And man, people jumped up and down at that. Everybody wants to leave a legacy. People want to receive legacies from their parents and grandparents. And then I started doing some homework. And one of the things that I discovered was way back in the 1500s, several religions believe that every man and woman should craft, when they reach 50 or 60, two wills. One is what was called the material will. This is the stuff I own, and this is who I want to get what. Okay, we've all heard about that kind of thing. Right. But the other was called an ethical will, which I realize is kind of an odd combination of words, an ethical will. But the idea of an ethical will was that to really leave a legacy, you have to gather your life lessons. Now, whether you write them down or you organize them into stories, or now today it's so easy to videotape things, just holding a phone up in front of yourself. But the idea of leaving an ethical will, many folks believe is even more important than how you're going to pass along, you know, who gets the house and how much money, if you have any money to leave. And so it occurred to me that I was in my 60s when I got started. I'm 71 now. But I thought, you know, I've had kind of a wild life. I've met five presidents. I've worked with corporate and political leaders all over the world. I've grown companies. I've had terrible failures. I've uh, had uh, great relationships with my kids and my wife. And I thought, you know, I've learned a lot of lessons in this life. I'm going to try to gather them all into my own ethical will, 
which is what evolved into this memoir, which is titled Radical Curiosity, which came out a few months ago. And no, and it, is, it, it does. It, 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 I, I highly agree with that. I mean, the kids and the grandkids, may, they may have your watch. They may have your, your grandfather clock, you know, that, that's been passed down. But, you know, they want to know some stories of, like, who you met, yeah, what happened, and, and, up and, and down. I mean, the stories I, are going to be worth more. Every one of your listeners, you might say, oh, my stories are not that great. doesn't matter if they're great or if somebody can make them into a movie or not. It matters. <laughs> what did you learn from them? Because you learned, each of us have learned lessons in life about love, about success, about trying hard, about failing, about loss. And those lessons, in many ways, are kind of like the jewels you have. And if you don't take a few hours or weeks, in my case, it took me three years, to <laughs> gather them up and craft them into something that can be passed forward, when your life is over, they're gone. And so, yeah, I think it's something for everybody to think about. I really do. And, you know, it doesn't take a lot, um, the technology now. But, I, um, but Ken, I will tell you, I, I, in my visits through throughout the country, I have seen that word now uh, being used more. Create the, uh, a living legacy uh, for your grandkids, for your kids, uh, more and more. I mean, video legacies. We have a company here in Shreveport and Bossier City has just introduced, and, it's, and they're promoting themselves on my, in my magazine and radio show, and, and they're, they're, it's going exponentially. I mean, you're right. They may have that will, but they need to have that other, the stories, the, the, the lessons that they can pass down to their grandkids and the great-grandkids and family members in the past or what, you know, what what did Grandpa Gary talk about? What did he do? Uh, where did he learn? So you, you're absolutely right about that. And and I this this gave me when I was reading your book gave me some ideas on how I can structure uh, mine. I have I have generated some sort. It's not very organized about uh, different stories about my parents and grandparents and and put my put my in, in there as well so it's 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 getting pretty long and hopefully i'm going to tweak it and publish it in the next few years uh and, and give it give it to the family members as well yeah i'll tell you one little anecdote on that when i was 27 so that's you know that was right after the dinosaurs died that was quite a while ago i actually uh spent a week with my grandmother who was raised in an orphan asylum and she was a wonderful woman lived to be about 90 um, but I rolled up at her apartment and with a reel-to-reel black-and-white video recorder, that's all I had, and spent a week interviewing her. Last year, I had a public television special, which is still airing, I believe, around the country, called Life's Third Age. And, and in it, I gave all of my theories and my ideas, you know, this is what I believe, this is what I know. But there's about a one-and-a-half-minute clip in it from my interview with my grandmother. And when the reviews came in for this TV special... Everybody's favorite part was the interview with my grandmother. And so, you know, had I not had the the wherewithal to think about doing that almost 50 years ago, I wouldn't have that treasure today. So it's something that I think is a good idea for people to think of doing. Yeah, go. And that's what I'm going to instill upon, hopefully. My listeners out there will get a family member to do that for them, to do that interview stage. You know, uh, I did it with my similar with my mother. I videotaped her. My father didn't have the opportunity, but I did take notes. Um, and, and by the way, it was at 24 years old, which I did a, an interview. I thought about it after getting college, getting my first job. You know, I need to know the rest of the story. So I, I interviewed him, and and today I'm still using some of those notes and writing down some of his stories. And my my mother uh, passed away at 96, and luckily I. 
videoed her and I got a ton of stories and ton of and a, and a ton of her her thoughts and uh, what happened and what could have happened, what could have should have happened. So it, it it is truly remarkable as well. So what? Why don't you tell our our listeners about uh, your successes when it goes up and down, but they're like remarkable ones. Uh, but you said also in in your book, in other words, that failure pay, played a life in your journey, and explain that to our listeners. Yeah, and let me not be Pollyannish. I mean, I'd rather have successes than failures. Failures can be hurtful and disappointing, and and they make you cry, you know. Yeah. But so I started out. I initially grew up in New Jersey, in Newark, New Jersey, and I imagined that I was going to be a physicist. But towards the end of my uh, four years of college, I had to take a social science course, and I took a course in the psychology of human potential. And the idea was is that all of us humans had all these extraordinary capabilities as athletes, as writers, as creators, as wonderful people, as overflowing with kindness. And But we were only using a small percentage of our potentials. And I thought, man, that's about the best idea I ever heard. <laughs> so I made a right turn into psychology and ultimately got my uh, my doctorate on the psychology of the body and became i guess somewhat of a of an expert on all of the kinds of this is 1970s things like yoga and tai chi and biofeedback and nutrition and journal writing that now have become quite commonplace but back then they were considered kind of fringe they were but i got asked to head up the diverse preventative health research project using these kinds of techniques and therapies for the elderly in 1974, so I was a 24-year-old kid, and uh, the crazy thing was is that I found myself totally enjoying working with older people, and even more than that, they had so much to share. I mean, being with an 80 or 90-year-old and having them look look back and think about where they went wrong and what their regrets were and how they would teach younger people how to live a better life, I thought, wow, there's so much we have to learn from older people, and that that became my, my passion in life. And I spent the first 10 years in the not-for-profit sector setting up other preventative health projects all over the world. And then I became frustrated with government and not-for-profits. <laughs> they always seem to be short on money and short on innovation. So I started a company, and I've had a great run of it. My wife and I created Age Wave 36 years ago. We've worked with about half the Fortune 500 and companies and leaders all over the world to help them figure out what are the products and services and ideas that new generations of people growing old were going to have hungers for. So so what what made you think back in the 70s that uh, preventative care or understanding or well, this type would, would, would benefit seniors and boomers? Well, I got involved in this project funded by the National Institutes on Health, which we by the way, we made up a name for it, the Holistic Health Council, so that's where the phrase holistic health came from. Mm, but okay. we, it was just sort of a hypothesis. It was sort of an idea. Gee, do you think older people would benefit from doing Tai Chi? Would it help them have better balance? Let's try. Do you think older people, if they did meditation, would allow them to sleep better at night if they could calm their mind? Let's try. Do we think that older people who have stiff and kind of tight bodies might... Uh, yoga might loosen them up and allow them to be mm -hmm. more playful and flexible and vital. And so we just began doing all these research projects, and we found that older people had enormous capability 
of improving themselves. Uh, I think that somehow there was this wrong myth going on in the fields of medicine that once you pass 60 or 70, you're, you know, you're baked, you're done, you're over the hill. <laughs> and what we saw was quite the opposite, was that if given a chance, older people can kind of reinvent themselves and revitalize themselves. And, you know, not everything, you know, you can't no. turn back certain illnesses and diseases, but there's quite a lot that can be done through these lifestyle interventions. So and the, the... I... Oh, I want to say also, I became convinced that my grandparents' generation of aging was very different than the one we're going to see in the future. They pretty well thought you reached 60, you were, you know, you were kind of in the end zone. Today, when people reach 50 or 60 or 70, they might have 20 or 30 years in front of them. That's a whole new chapter in life. And that's what you call the, the life's third age, correct? Yes. That <clears throat> from Europe... There's this belief that the first 30 years of life were time, obviously, for identity formation and growing your body and, you know, getting the basic learning skills sorted out. And let's call that life's first age. And, and, and frankly, for many centuries, that's as long as most people lived. But then life's second age happened from around 30 to 60. And that's a time to raise family and dig into career and, you know, and earn some money and, and you know, all the things that most of us are focused on it during those decades in our life. But very few people live past 60. You know, the life expectancy at the beginning of the 20th century throughout the modern world was 47 years. 47. But now, now that, that living to 60, 80, 90, even 100 are becoming commonplace, there's this whole other chapter of life from, let's say, 60-plus that's a time for new freedoms. It's time for new beginnings. And it's a time for really kind of making sense of who you are. And by the way, I would also argue, Gary, that I think that there are roles that older people ought to be playing more of in terms of being mentors and volunteers and kind of elders, you know, giving back and, and guiding their communities and families. And I think all too many older people think they're just on a vacation. Yeah, and, and the important thing, the, I think you mentioned in your book somewhere that it, you know, when there people retire, they spend so much time just on the on the couch watching television. They should be more proactive, get get involved, volunteer, well, the do stat, things. The, the stats the stats will unnerve you. For the last ten years, the average retiree in America watched forty seven hours of television a Whoa. week, <laughs> and only twenty four percent of America's retirees in the last decade volunteered at all. So, principally, it's okay, but it's worth questioning principally what our 70 million retirees are currently doing is watching a lot of tv and not doing much to help other people and i don't think that's i don't think that's the ideal i think retirement's an experiment and we set it in motion in the 1930s and now we can kind of sculpt it a little bit and maybe make it a little bit more contributory and a little bit more uh, intergenerationally connected which i think would be good for everyone well, hold that thought. We'll be right back with more information. But now I work more sponsors and advertisers who do make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and A-Bears Tenant Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Gary Kaligas will be right back with more Best of Times Radio Hour after this on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Gary's back with more Best of Times Radio Hour on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by 
Abares Hunting Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer in AARP, Louisiana. Joining me on my radio show today is a very special guest, is Dr. Ken Dykewall, who is a psychologist, gerontologist, visionary thinker of aging and longevity. He's an author of 18 books, and today I've asked him to share his thoughts about his recent book, Radical Curiosity, but also talk about life's third age. So thank you, Ken, for joining us today. It's great to be with you, Gary. Enjoy talking to you always. So, it, boy, there were so many things I, I could interject and, and agree with you about that. But I thought an interesting, I, I think people need to know, your book gives you a bunch of history about yourself. And I think your kids and grandkids and future generations are going to be impressed. You had the thought back in, I hate to, hate to I don't remember the exact date, back when President Clinton you were about to inter- help him introduce the Elder Corps, which would have been oh, revolutionary. That was one of my big disappointments. Well, tell so, us a little. I was fascinated. I, I was not aware of that. Uh, okay, so back when I wrote, I wrote a book. My eighth book was a book called Age Wave. It came out, I started it in 1980. I finally got it out in 1989. Um, in the early, and the last chapter in the book, I talk about the need to create a global elder corps. You know, a little bit like Sergeant Shriver and President Kennedy created the Peace Corps. I thought, right. wow, in, in the world today we have a billion people over 60, got the greatest concentration of wisdom, experience, perspective, you know, whether it's, you know, how to work a farm or whether it's how to run a company or how to raise a child. I mean, we've got elders who have massive chops when it comes to just about everything. And nobody's really asking them to take charge or to guide things. So I had that storming around in my mind. Then I get a phone call. I remember it was it was in December. I was away with my wife and kids visiting my parents in Florida. I get a phone call, uh, and they just said, this is the White House calling. And I was like, is this a joke? <laughs> no, this is the White House call, calling on behalf of the president, President Clinton. And I said, all right, let's assume you're telling me the truth. What it was that I can do for you? President would like your very best idea about what he could do to do something truly special in this country, in the world, pertaining to this growth and longevity and all these older people we now have. So President Clinton and I, I told him that I thought that he should spearhead the creation of an elder corps, that there were so many young people in America who were raised by single parents or were struggling in school or who didn't have the benefit of wealth. And, and then you had all these amazing older people who, I'm not saying had to devote full-time, but maybe a few hours a week could, be, could be, play a key role in these people's lives. And then I asked President Carter if he would be interested in maybe running it. Because um, he was, a, you know, however people feel about him as a president, he, he was and is a pretty spectacular post-president. So I had this whole thing going to the goal line. And then this president, President Clinton, you know, right up, he was going to announce it at his January State of the Union speech. And that's when the whole Monica Lewinsky thing came out. And his bad behavior as a man kind of knocked him sideways and down. And he wound up walking away from this project because he felt he had too much junk to deal with. So the idea didn't happen. That was a great frustration for me. And I'm uh, actually these days I've got various people in political offices around the world reaching out to me about, hey, maybe the time is now to create an, uh, a national or global global elder corps. But that was a 
I feel, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, that was oh. a missed opportunity, you know? Well, and it would have been, well, back in the 80s, it would have been, you know, implement, take probably a few years to implement, but it would have been full running by now. Yeah, it, think it, about it. That would have come, if that would have come into place, let's say the idea was in the late 80s, but if it would have come alive in the late 90s, that's 20 years ago, we might have hundreds of millions of people's lives made better. By a, oh, definitely. by a contributing program like that. And but. you might tell listeners, there there's there were splinter groups, the Foster Grandparents Program, many other senior core, um, senior uh, that helps businesses. Senior core, uh, retired executives. You know, yeah, first retired. of all, there are, and I know AARP is one of your sponsors, we've got the Purpose Prize, Encore.org, Gen to Gen, uh, Senior Corps of Retired Executives, AIM. There are lots of really terrific projects to bring old and young together but what i was thinking was a little bit like kennedy's moonshot that if something like this were given major headlines and a national or global movement towards making things like this happen making making it more accessible for a retiree to help out a few hours a week and to uh, and a lot of retirees are we did the homework said, you know, I don't want to wash windows. I don't want to serve food at the soup kitchen. I think that's a nice thing that some people like to do that. But I've been a lawyer my whole life, so I'd like to teach young people a little bit about the law. Or someone's been a financial advisor, and they say, hey, I'd like to teach inner-city kids, uh, you know, the power of money. Or if somebody has been a uh, psychotherapist, maybe they wanted to work with young people who were struggling to sort out their identity. So the idea of using older people not just as placeholders, but as enormously talented contributors, that was the driving idea that I was working towards. But Ken, doesn't also benefit the individual that's doing the volunteering, the donating, make, gives them more purposeful life? Gives that's them a more- great question, Gary, because there's a guy named George Valiant at Harvard who's been studying volunteerism for, I don't know, 30, 40 years now. And one of the, one of the surprising and wonderful insights he's garnered is that when young people are helped by older people, they benefit. Their lives turn out better. You know, you ever hear Denzel Washington oh, yeah. talking about having been a member of the Boys and Girls Club systems? He says, saves his life. So the young people benefit. But what Valiant at Harvard discovered is that the older people benefit even more. That when you help people, when you volunteer a bit, uh, your health gets better. You have more purpose in your life. You you are more connected to the modern age, and you'll sleep better at night, and there'll be a smile on your face instead of a grumpy scowl. So everybody wins. Yeah, and and that I, that's what I was telling some of my listeners out there that I'd do expos that you know. There's always somebody out there needing – you don't just sit around and twiddle your thumbs. There's always an opportunity to volunteer and share your share your ideas, help a helping hand. Most of them don't want money. They want they want dialogue. I mean, I, I deal with a lot of young people that just talk to us, tell us what we're doing right and help us uh, ex- so we don't have as many failures as we're going to have. You've been there, done that, like, like right? You've got that experience. You've got that those that credentials, but you also have the experience of being it. Yeah, I think, you know, I've studied the history of retirement now for 47 years, actually. And <laughs> up until the beginning of the 20th century, there was no retirement. Uh, it was believed that if you got older and you were working on a farm and you couldn't ride a horse anymore, well, then you'd fix the fences or you'd teach the kids. But the, the idea that somehow you reached an age and you were supposed to 
separate from from society and go off and be on holiday. That didn't exist. And then in the 1930s, we began experimenting with the idea that you might have a year or two after work. We want to make sure you don't have to worry about poverty, so we'll we'll create a kind of a, a stipend, a Social Security payment. But now, as we're living longer and longer and longer, and oddly, uh, for decades, retirement age has gotten younger and younger and younger, we've got a kind of a 20, 30-year period of life, and we haven't really created a real purpose for it. And I think that's a big social error. And I think it should be not all of one thing. doesn't mean you've got to keep working until you're 100, or you've got to be a volunteer 50 hours a week, but you have more freedom to do a variety of things. So maybe in retirement, you go fishing, you watch some TV, you play with your grandkids, but maybe every Tuesday afternoon you help out at the church. Uh, you help young kids with their homework. Or maybe you coach, if you're an athlete, you coach a local volleyball team at the high school. Or, for example, I'm a public speaker, so maybe I teach some young people how to be more effective communicators. And also, I also am a big believer that continuing to learn keeps you youngish. And so a lot of older people spend a lot of time, you know, talking about life back in the day. Um, you know, there's community colleges all over the country. More and more colleges of every stripe are allowing retirees in, often for no fee. So combination of giving, uh, leisure, a little bit of work, and some learning makes for a pretty wonderful mosaic for this new retirement that so many of us will be experiencing. And and the other thing, the positive aspects you mentioned, it puts a smile on your face. You don't you don't see as many hate to say it, many grumpy people out there who have nothing to do. They're and they're just watching television from their from their uh, couch and that they don't do anything or even get out and 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 in, in the world. I mean, I I've dealt with retirees in the past that that told me they were looking for their retirement and they're going to just go home and that's all not and some of those but, individuals can ended up dying in 6 months. I mean, they were perfect yeah, health or before. They're, or they're surely not fun to be around. Let me give you a great example. Before COVID, I spoke at a conference and the other speaker was, you know, the actor Harrison Ford. And you know, I never met him before, and he's obviously a big deal. He's done a lot of heroic figures in right. Star Wars and you know, and Raiders of the Lost Ark and so on. And he's a big environmental activist. And whether you agree with that or not, not important right now. And he gave this speech, and he says, we got to get the young people of the world planting billions of trees, save the planet. And everybody cheered. <laughs> I had a private meeting with Harrison afterward that had been set up in advance. And I said to him, you know, first of all, hey, I love your movies. <laughs> You've done some pretty cool roles in your life. I said, let me ask you a question. Why should young people be planting the trees? Why don't you get the old people planting the trees? <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, well, there's a billion people over 60 in the world, and they've got a lot of free time on their hands. Good and point. think about the message it would send to have an elder planting a tree in whose shade they might never sit. It would be a real statement that older people care about the future for young people. Oh. And he said to me, I never thought of that. Never crossed my mind that older people could be a resource of giving. And then, get a load of this, Gary. He said to me, meanwhile, this guy's like 78 or something, 75. He says, well, who could, who could activate these older people? <laughs> I said, excuse me, sir. <laughs> You're one of us, you know? That's right. You're a role model for our generation. We all grew up watching your movies. He says, really? You think of me as an older person? I said, yeah, you are. And... 
you are an example of what more and more of us could be. You believe in something and you're fighting for it. And I think a lot of older people could use their leverage and their kind of spiritual weight to make things happen in this world that could better it for not only themselves and their families, but for the next generations. Well, you're a great advocate, but, I, but I've been seeing on national media, there are very, very few seniors that advocate for other seniors to do stuff. I haven't seen a lot of that lately. I don't know, maybe it's because of COVID or because the promoters or advertisers don't want to have an old person like me on the show. <laughs> I do on my radio show here. I, I advocate a lot of things, and people implement, and they're so thankful that uh, I tell them about volunteer opportunities. I tell them about, you know, things, uh, expos and things that they need to attend and participate. And and, and uh, there's, a you know, a, a, a shredding event that's mainly uh, that bring your stuff, but all, but it's important that seniors, you clean out your closet for all your documents that you've saved for 20 years. Bring them to this event. So, I mean, I, but I'm telling you, have you seen as many? Yeah, you know, you're bump, you know, you're a very astute guy, Gary. So you're bumping <laughs> into a real thing, and I'll, let's call this thing ageism. Okay. That yes. Because in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, modern media emerged. It may surprise your listeners to realize that in 1946, when the boomer generation first started arriving, there were only 6,000 television sets in all of America. It was like a ham radio <laughs> hobby craft thing. Well, now, and then all of a sudden, TV appeared and advertising appeared, and you could advertise to young people and old people. And back then, the young people had big appetites. I want that hula hoop. I want that softball. I want to wear that kind of clothing. And the older people, having been raised in the shadow of the Depression, were very frugal. So somehow the idea got locked down that if you're an advertiser or you're a media program, focus a lot on young people because they're still forming their brand preferences and buying a lot of stuff, and skip the old people because they're all set in their ways. And now the truth of it is is that today young people are pretty broke. You know, the <laughs> number one most common living arrangement for people 18 to 34 in America is living at home with their parents. It is the most common living arrangement. turns out 50, 16, 70-year-olds have 70% of all the wealth in America and are really open to trying new things. And either good news or bad news, boomer generation likes to spend a lot of money where their parents and grandparents were more frugal. So how ridiculous that we turn on our TV and most of the actors, most of the people in the ads, almost all of them are young people. They might be different color. They might have different marital relationships, but they're young. And you, if you see a 70- or an 80-year-old, rather than them doing something cool or doing something wonderful, they're, you know, they're battling Alzheimer's disease. And so we see a portrait in the media of older people that's primarily fixated on their problems and their disabilities. And the media doesn't work as an engine to stoke up older people's ideas about all the things they could be doing with their life. You're, you're absolutely right. I see. I can see ageism is still around. I, I've talked about that with various experts on this show and in our magazine that uh, we have to combat that. And uh, I keep telling locally some of the advertisers and businesses that, you know, why don't you? I mean, and few of them have been, been quite successful when they got their young ad agency represented to say, you know, we need to change this ad. We need to find out. I do want, I do want to tell you, though, that the most lucrative m- – music tour going on in america right now is the stones yeah and you know jagger is what 77 78 
and they begin their performances with a little funereal respect to Charlie Watts, the drummer who died. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, we got a president who's 78. You know, Trump is in his second half of his 70s, and Fauci is 80. So we, we are seeing some examples True. breaking through of older people kind of breaking the mold. And I... I was taken by the phenomenon in the 20th century of Roger Bannister, the runner in England. He's mm-hmm. a medical student, and he was the first human ever to break a four-minute mile. And nobody thought that would ever happen because we just couldn't run that fast. <laughs> but the year after he broke that four-minute mile, thousands of people all over the world were breaking four-minute miles. So I think we who are 50 or 60 or 70, the more we see great examples, role models, whether they be athletes or musicians or teachers or politicians or ministers or just folks in the neighborhood doing cool things at the Master Olympics and the Senior Olympics Games, that will stoke us all up to be better versions of ourselves. And by the way, I think that's what you do with your expos and your publications. You're showing people the possibilities of who they could be through the examples of, of other incredible people. I... I had the good fortune of knowing John Glenn pretty well, and when he announced he was going to go up into space at 77 about 20 years ago, I was asked to do the commentary for CNN. And in the early interviews, when Glenn first made his announcement, a lot of the young reporters were kind of, you know, ageistically poking at him. Don't you think you're old for this? What if you have to go to the bathroom? What if you have a heart attack? And Glenn, who is a tough guy, he was not a softy. He was a tough guy. He turned to these reporters and he says, hey, just because I'll be 77 doesn't mean I still don't have dreams. <laughs> that's great. And I what thought, a great yeah, step. that's exactly it. Just because you've lost a loved one or you're done with your main career or you've reached a certain birthday doesn't mean you should stop dreaming. And we need to see more examples of that in the media and in the public sphere. And shame on our media platforms because they excessively focus on youth. They do. They do. Well, hold that thought. We'll be right back with more information. But now we're from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and A-Bears 10 and Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Gary Kaligas will be right back with more Best of Times Radio Hour after this on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Gary's back with more Best of Times Radio Hour on 101.7 FM and 710 Kiel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana Neighbors, standing country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Joining me on my show today is a very, very special guest, Dr. Ken Dykewall, who is a psychologist, gerontologist, visionary thinker of aging and longevity. And his recent book is Radical Curiosity, available on Amazon. It's a great book. Highly recommend it. So thank you again, Ken, for joining us today here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. Great to be with you. Enjoying our discussion. Wow, this this is really fascinating. Yes, that's why more and more of our publications, radio shows, developers, seniors, and movers, and television shows need to be pr- promoting this 
age and maturity as a celebration, continuing on, continue their bucket list, continue their dreams. A lot of them, as you said, when they retire, I'm not going to do anything else. Well, there's so many more things you can do in, in 20 to 30 years. And according to some of my doctors on the show, Ken, we might be ended up in a few years having longevity in the over hundreds, going to have, you know, 120 or so. So you never yeah, know. Let me. Let me take a poke at those two points. I know okay. you got a question you're about to ask me, but you make me think of a couple of things. So I was captivated at the Apollo 11 mission, the whole dynamic. It was the most sophisticated scientific uh, activity in history, and right. it was the most planned scientific activity. But when I got together with some people who knew a lot about Apollo 11, what I learned was that 90% of the time the rocket was off course. <laughs> and so the mission was essentially a mission of course correction. And I think that's what it is in life, oh. that whatever you thought you were going to be like when you were 60, back when you were 30, maybe you are, maybe you're not. But who are you going to be next? I mean, honestly, what's the best version of you that you could dream up, and how do you go about making that happen? And I think that all, you know, I say shame on us. All too many older people just kind of give up. And they allow themselves like a Disney ride just to keep going around in circles again and again and again. I think the challenge of longevity is to keep thinking about how can I be the best version of me and what corrections can I make either in how I live or how I relate to my family or my role in the church or uh, maybe I should go back to school or maybe I should start a new business. You know, some of the most successful entrepreneurs in the last 20 years have been people over 55 because they're older people, they got an astute idea, they know a little bit more about, you know, they've been to a lot of rodeos, they know what makes things work, and they can make things successfully. I just think we need to be more alive in our long life. And the second point you made, I am uh, involved in the field that's now being called geroscience, which is to study uh, the physical dimensions of aging. I was just on a call yesterday afternoon. There are many, many, many people who believe that maybe not this year, but sometime in the next decade or so, there are going to be some breakthroughs that hopefully will allow us to put an end to Alzheimer's disease. Wow. That hopefully will allow us to put an end to cancer. That may even allow us with things like CRISPR, which is a way to modify our DNA, to age more slowly. And so living to 100 or even 120 which right now seems just kind of goofy, you know, that's not ever going to happen. Maybe in the next decades, maybe even in our lives, that's going to become more normal. Then the question, the bigger question is, if you were going to, I know it's a crazy thing to even imagine, but if you could be healthy and you could have your brain working well and you were 100, what'd you do for the last 40 years? You know, after you stop working and just sitting around and watching TV, I don't think that's the job done. No, no, that, that is a good, that's a good thought. So what frightens you about aging? Oh, what frightens me about aging? You want the truth or you want like a (laughs) good answer? (laughs) I'll give you the truth. Okay. So, I have studied aging long enough that I've been on panels and programs with even back in the 1970s with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who became friends. I thought about age a death a lot, and I think there's three or four different pieces of the puzzle, and I'll give you my answer on all of them. There is death of someone you love. I'm terrified of that. 
not my own death, but what if something happened to my wife or my kids? Now, I was with my mom and my dad when they were dying, so I got to see them to the end. But I was always frightened. What if they died in a horrible way or they suffered? Or So there's the death of someone you love. Terrifies me. Terrifies me. Then there's the the end, you know, and I happen to be one whose spiritual beliefs lead me to imagine that there is an afterlife. And so I don't necessarily believe that when I die, it's the end of me. Uh, I believe that there is a kind of an afterlife. Then there's the dying process, and I'm really scared of suffering. I have seen people in pain or dementia. A friend of mine just died of Lewy body dementia, which is what Robin Williams had. It's the mm-hmm. worst of the dementias. That's why he. That's why why Robin killed Wilson killed himself. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to be in horrible pain. I don't want to be a burden on my family. So those are the things that scare me. And and I'll tell you, this is going to sound a little touchy feely, but I'm scared of being scared. You know, I've lived my life in a pretty bold way, and I've handled things. But I've seen some people in their later years who are so overwhelmed by all that, by some terriblenesses, loss of a loved one, loss of money, being a burden on their family, losing their mind, that they I'm can't have it themselves. I'm frightened of being frightened. Yes, that, right. but I would tell you that it doesn't. None of these fears paralyze me, but they kind of lurk in the background. You know, if my wife is handling something and she's home late, I worry that she have an accident, you know. Um, I have two kids that live in different parts of the world, and I, uh, I kind of say a prayer for them every night to make yeah, sure they're safe and sound. So uh, but, but I'm a worrying guy, but those are the things right. that worry me about about aging. Well, thank you again, Ken, for taking time to be on our radio show. You were remarkable. Best wishes to you and your family for a great holiday. And uh, keep in touch. Uh, And, again, thank you for being on our show. It's been my pleasure. All the best to all of you. Thank you, sir. Don't forget to pick up your personal copy of The Best of Times at one of our 270 distribution locations. May God bless you and your family. God bless America. Have a great day and a great weekend. Thank you again for listening to our show. I'm Gary Kaligas, wishing you and yours the best of times, both today and every day. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to The Best of Times Radio Hour here on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Be sure to tune in next Saturday at 9 a.m. for more Best of Times. This is 1017 FM and 710 Keel.